Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. In a left center field and deep, this is a tie ball game. 1-1 pitch. Can I not remember the last time I broadcast a game this good? I can't remember the last time I've seen a game this enjoyable, this entertaining. Oh, that music. Bruce, I'm, I'm, I'm 14. <laughs> 15 years old. 12 years old. Watching the NBC baseball game of the week on a Saturday afternoon. It was the true game of the week. It was, and it was awesome. 35 years ago tomorrow, the Sandberg game took place at Wrigley Field between the Cubs and the Cardinals. Why the Sandberg game? For all of you who may not have been there or have ever heard of the event, the Sandberg game was predicated on a, a game that the Cardinals jumped out to a 7-1 lead and the only TV game that was being broadcast that day. NBC had the rights to that game that day. No other game could be played or broadcast. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, this was appointment television. This was uh, as important a game every Saturday as you could imagine. And uh, to take us through some of that, we are very privileged and honored to have Hall of Fame broadcaster and the man, along with Tony Kubek, who did that game that day, June 23rd, 1984, the Sandberg game. Bob Costas joins us on Inside the Clubhouse to our tribute to 35 years ago, the Sandberg game. Good morning, Bob. Hey, Bruce. Hi, Matt. Great to have you with us. Your recollections of the ballpark that day, uh, a young broadcaster who was really starting to shine at that time, and uh, you and Tony became an important team uh, at that point. Your recollections of that day walking into the ballpark, and then what occurred? Well, a perfect baseball Saturday, sunny skies, late June, Cardinals-Cubs, that makes a difference. If it was the Cubs against most other teams, it might not have resonated quite as much. Just like you see a lot of blue at Bush Stadium, you saw some red at Wrigley Field that day. There were no lights at that point, so it wasn't anything particularly special to have a day game. Every game at Wrigley Field was a day game. And you have to remember the context. The Saturday game of the week at that time was a big deal because in much of the country that really was the only game on television for the entire week. Or even if you had a local team and they televised some of their games, because few teams televised all of them. The Cubs were among those who televised all or nearly all. But in most parts of the country, you got a handful of your local team's games. So this was your one chance to see a national game. If you lived in Rhode Island, you might not have seen the Dodgers and the Reds that often, except on the game of the week. So it had 
a certain cachet. And very often, those Saturday afternoon games would get ratings comparable to what hit primetime shows get today in a fractionalized television universe. So you had a good portion of the baseball world watching the games every Saturday with Vince Gully and Joe Garagiola and with me and Tony Kubek. And also at that time, the Cubs, surprisingly, were beginning to emerge as a contender. And, of course, as we know, they'd come within one game of making it to the World Series that year. And it seemed to all come together that day at Wrigley. Uh, the Cubs as a national force, uh, WGN as a superstation was taking hold, so the Cubs had fans outside Chicagoland. There was that. The Cubs as a force in the pennant race, and Sandberg as an MVP candidate. It all came together in that one game. That's a, a really nice job of putting it in the proper context, unsurprisingly, from Bob Costas here on 670 The Score. I was that kid growing up in New Jersey, Bob, and a couple months earlier I saw Jack Morris throw a no-hitter uh, on, on the game of the week um, right there. So it was, it was super special to see t- guys that you did not see. And it's, it's kind of a, not kind of, it is a coming out party for Ryan Sandberg on the, on the national scale for people to realize outside of Chicago, oh boy, this is an infielder with pop when they were not super common at the time. Oh yeah, it was all those things. Uh, the Cardinals had a 9-3 lead at one point in the game. The Cubs catch up, they pulled it within 9-8, and then Sandberg homers in the ninth off Bruce Suter, and that's not incidental because Suter, a former Cub, was by consensus the premier reliever in the game at that time. So the homer ties at 9-9. They go to extra innings. Willie McGee's double produces two and makes it 11-9 Cardinals. And almost as a footnote, Willie McGee has now hit for the cycle in the game (laughs) after that double. So we go to the bottom half of the 10th, two out, nobody on. Bob Dernier draws a walk, and up comes Sandberg again. Suter's still on the mound which is an indication of a different era because he pitched multiple innings as many of his contemporary relievers, Goose Gossage, Raleigh Fingers, often did. So he's still in the game, same matchup, Sandberg homers, almost to the same spot. It was almost like the same fan could have caught both balls in the left field bleachers. And now the game is tied again. And I remember saying something to the effect of, this may be the real Roy Hobbs, because the movie The Natural had only recently come out with Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs. The 80s and early 90s were kind of a golden era of baseball movies. Field of Dreams, The Natural, Eight Men Out, Bull Durham, even Bob Euchre and Company in Major League. For some reason, there was a spate of really good baseball movies. Uh, so to me, what Sandberg was doing brought Roy Hobbs to mind. Uh, and then the game continued, and another footnote, Dave Owen, brother of Spike Owen, who had a more accomplished career, got a base hit over the drawn-in infield, and the Cubs won the game 12-11. to The incomparable Bob Costas joins us for this look at the 35th anniversary of the Sandberg game, broadcast by NBC exclusively on June 23, 1984. Bob, nice enough to share some time with us on a Saturday afternoon on Inside the Clubhouse. Bob, uh, as a side note, uh, and certainly uh, a footnote in history, two Hall of Fame closers, Lee Smith and Bruce Souter, are not up to the task on this uh, given day. And it's, a, it's an offensive day dream uh, for Willie McGee and for Sandberg. And as you mentioned, Bob, 
McGee was already named by you guys, uh, you know, and everybody in the park agreed as the player of the game, which was a big <laughs> deal back then when the announcers, you know, said the player of the game after hitting for the cycle, of course, is Willie McGee. And then the ninth inning has its own life to itself. Yeah, here's the story behind that. The player of the game was sponsored, so you absolutely had to mention it. Now, the game was going on a long time. Games were generally quicker then, but it exceeded what the anticipated limit was. And we had a show called Sports World on NBC, and Marv Albert and the fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco, were waiting, I think, in Panama for whatever the fight was that was to follow the baseball game. And they were actually holding off the opening bell until the game would end. So we were trying to do all the housekeeping because as soon as the game ended, we were going to throw it hot to Panama. And so as Dernier made it to first base on the walk and as Sandberg came up to the plate, people misinterpreted. We didn't think the game was necessarily over, but it could have been over. And if it was, if Sandberg had made it out, if it was, we were going to immediately go to Marv Albert which is why we had to name a player of the game. And at that point, the Cardinals were winning. McGee had the cycle. He was the player of the game, despite the fact that Sandberg had four hits, one of which was a game-tying home run. Well, then, lo and behold, he hits another game-tying home run. Now he's got five <laughs> hits. So when the game eventually ended, we couldn't rescind the offer to Willie McGee, so we named co-players of the game, and that's the way it happened. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, for those who don't remember, didn't realize the dominance of Bruce Souter at the time, and as you mentioned, a different era. At that point, he had thrown in 27 games. He had finished 26 of them with a 1.19 ERA. On the year, he threw 71 games. He finished 63 of them with a 1.54 ERA because those guys stayed in. He gave up four homers that year, two on that day, to Ryan Sandberg. Uh, you know, again, for people who didn't get to see him, the split-fingered fastball, that was the stuff of legend. Like, what is this pitch that Suter yeah. throws? Yeah, it was a new pitch at that time. And people watching at home, where most shots are taken on the center field camera, you heard this all the time. Why do they swing at it? Can't they tell it's a ball? Well, not until it gets on top of them, they couldn't. Right, absolutely. Bob, where, you know, in your great career, and you've, you've had so many huge events and so many great moments, um, I don't know if you do rankings, but uh, I'm going to ask you to, to put this in perspective for you. Mm-hmm. Again, a very young broadcaster who was already getting pretty famous at that time as to where this falls in the Sandberg game uh, with your career. It's way up there. If I made a list, it would be high on the list. It's certainly the most significant regular season baseball game uh, I've ever been a part of because of all the circumstances we talked about. And I remember saying something to the effect during the game, uh, Tony, this game is so timeless, it could be 1954 as well as 1984, except the telecast would be in black and white. Um, and people know that I have a certain appreciation of baseball. It just felt like at that point, I'm in my early 30s, relatively early in my NBC career, I couldn't think of any place on the planet I'd rather be. If I could have pushed a button and been in Paris or Rome, I would have said, no thanks, I'm staying right here at Wrigley Field. And I hope that that sense of enjoyment and appreciation was transmitted to the audience. Let me give you another response to that. A couple of years ago, Jim Cott and I did a game on the Major League Baseball Network at Fenway Park. So, again, you have a classic setting. It was a night game at Fenway Park, Cleveland against Boston. 
and the Red Sox won it either 12 to 10 or 12 to 11, something very, very close to what happened in the Sandberg game. And the game featured one of the greatest outfield catches I've ever seen, Austin Jackson tumbling into the bullpen, Mm -hmm. running from center field toward right center and tumbling into the Red Sox bullpen to make an astonishing catch. Back and forth, seesawing game. Christian Vasquez with two out in the bottom of the ninth and the Red Sox trailing, homers to win the game. An incredible game and a great scene at Fenway Park. But that game just is folded into the long regular season because it didn't have all the surrounding circumstances and it didn't have the primacy of the game of the week. Yeah, it was on national television, but at the same time, if you were a baseball fan and you had the baseball package, you could probably watch a half dozen different games or more. Uh, So it just didn't stand out. It didn't have a center stage aspect to it the way the Sandberg game did, even though if you looked at it, it was pretty close to comparable. Bob, uh, you paid me the ultimate compliment, I think, the, uh, when you were in the ballpark a couple weeks ago saying, you know what, Bruce, I, I don't think I've ever been at Wrigley Field and you haven't been here. <laughs> and, I was, and I was certainly at that, uh, that game, and that still stands out to me as the most exciting, exhilarating uh, game that I've ever watched in person or pretty much anywhere else. That, you know, that's up there for any type of regular season game. Matt and I really appreciate your time and your expertise on this. We're going to continue with Ryan Sandberg after this. We'll be sure to get you a copy of the show, and uh, we can't wait to, uh, to see you again when you come to Chicago. Thanks again, Bob, for two, sharing Two today. quick things. Sure. A, tell Ryan I said hello. Look forward to seeing him in Cooperstown. And two, this pretty much says it all, doesn't it? It's a regular season game that has a title, <laughs> the Sandberg game. Yeah. yeah. And everybody knows what you're talking about. And even though it doesn't happen as often as it did in the 80s and 90s, it still happens from time to time. I'll be in Chicago, and a stranger will begin a conversation with me by just simply saying, Bob, the Sandberg game. That's all, doesn't it? That's awesome. Hey, hey, Bob and Bruce, you know, there's one guy who was on the field that day who is still on Major League Fields right now. Do you know who it was? First base umpire Joe West. Yeah, well, he's, wow. he's permanently there forever. <laughs> right? Cowboy yeah. Joe. Yeah. yeah, Bob, again, thank you so much for the time. Keep up the great work. Uh, it's just as exhilarating and fun to watch you work these days as it was back in 1984. Keep it up. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Matt. All thank right. you, Bob. But the great Bob Costas joining us on our tribute to Ryan Sandberg. We'll be back with Ryan after a few short uh, breaks here. But, again, uh, Ryan Sandberg to join us. Uh, we'll hear from Willie McGee on this tribute 35 years of the Sandberg game, June 23rd, 1984. That was fun. This hour of Inside the Clubhouse is brought to you by Burris Equipment. Visit them at burrisequipment.com for details. He's Bruce. I'm Matt. Ryan Sandberg is next on The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Out of the stretch, the pitch. Hey! 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 Might be out of here. Hey! 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 He's He's done it again. Oh. The game is tied. The game is tied. 
Holy cow! How about that? Man, that's cool. Zach Withers producing Inside the Clubhouse and giving you the national stuff with Bob Costas. And there's your local stuff from 35 years ago tomorrow, Bruce. Harry Carey, Lou Boudreaux, and um, Milo Hamilton on WGN Radio at the time. The call of the great home run, the second home run by Ryan Sandberg off of Bruce Suter in the 10th inning. And we are pleased to bring in the guy who was the star, of course, of... The Sandberg game. <laughs> Ryan Sandberg, nice enough to join us on a Saturday afternoon to reminisce about 35 years ago tomorrow, the Sandberg game and those great moments. Good afternoon or good morning, Ryan, and uh, thanks for taking some time out. What, what a great day. What a great kickoff to your career as well as the uh, Cubs 84 season. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. Nice to be with you guys. And, um, you know what? The other star of the show, I guess, couldn't have done it without Bruce Suter on the mound. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, 35 years uh, is pretty incredible. Um, but uh, it was, uh, you know what? It was just, it was just one of those afternoons, one of those games. I get a, I get a big kick um, looking at the uh, at the highlights and the in the in the video of of that game, a, a nationally televised game, and just to take notice of how basic the graphics were and and uh just the crowd in general uh it was it was just a a, a magical day and uh like what you said bruce just a, a game that really uh kick-started my career to a whole nother level when you're talking about bruce Suter, we're talking about the most accomplished relief pitcher of that time and a future hall of famer everybody pretty much knew it and he was uh, with the Cubs right before um, you were traded to the team, and then he was traded to St. Louis. Uh, but um, how did you guys as hitters talk about facing Suter, knowing that the split-finger pitch you know, certainly looked like a fastball, and then all of a sudden it dropped uh, who, who knows how many inches before it actually got to the hitting plane? <laughs> yeah, my, you know, it might have, it might have dropped a, a couple of feet uh, when you really look at the look at it and how did we approach him i mean he was lights out uh he really was he he was dominant you didn't see that pitch every day and you didn't practice hitting that pitch uh by no means because there was there was really no way of uh simulating that during batting practice and rarely do you do that against the closer but he was just uh just a freak type, type of a guy out there with a freak pitch you didn't see it every day uh, dominant ground ball type of a pitcher. So I think that's the thing that really stood out uh, with lifting two home runs off of Bruce Suter in that era was the fact that he didn't give up too many uh, long balls, uh, balls lifted in the air. Um, to, to score a run, you'd have to scratch a, uh, put some base hits together and have a rally two or three or four hits in an inning back then. But you know, back in the day with uh, with the closer warming up right down the right field line, um, I used to take notice who was coming in, and because he was right there, they were always right there next to me hmm. in that inning. And I just saw him over there, and I said, "Well, this is a, this is a tough go here. He's 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 tough. He's tough to uh, he's tough to hit, and he's tough to manage a run off of." And so, just when he was warming up, I said, "You know what? It's almost lights out here, but." I just remember in those two at bats having nothing really 
to lose with that mentality that I just told you and everything in the game. And I've told people that uh, those were two swings, maybe some, maybe the only swings in my career where I aimed my bat and aimed my focus and my eyes below the baseball uh, to elevate the ball. The two outs, uh, a, a little single right there really would have meant nothing. Um, so it, it was all or nothing. Swing underneath the baseball, and uh, and he happened to hang a couple of pitches. Those pitches were up in the zone. I also had the mentality in those at bats to go up there and be aggressive early on, something that I could handle early before he got two strikes. With two strikes, he could really expand the zone and and put some stuff down by your knees, dropping out of the strike zone. He was tough but with two strikes, so I wanted to go up there early. Get something up in the in the zone and uh, and be ready to go and put that ball in play. So thirty five years later, we learned that Ryan Sandberg had a launch angle yep. in nineteen eighty four on those two swings at least. Yeah, only on two swings. My yeah. whole career. <laughs> yeah my my approach, like I say, my approach and uh, I would say everybody's approach back then was in batting practice and during the game, aim for the top half of the baseball because of the velocity of the ball once. Once you did make contact, the goal was gap to gap, use the whole field, line drive, stroke. So it was not about launch angle. Um, and and so, like I say, those were two unique swings. It felt, um, felt a little awkward at the time, but when the when it connected and the ball was in the air, I knew both of them were gone. So, uh, yes, uh, that all worked out. That's, that's great stuff. The bottom of the hour here on The Score is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves, the Western Conference champion. Chicago Wolves would like to thank the loyal fans for making this 25th anniversary so special. Thank you and see you in October. Ryan Sandberg, Bruce Suter gave up four home runs that year. Two that day to you. Four all year long. Um, and it's fascinating to hear you say that you were thinking about swinging underneath the ball. So were they... Were they split fingers that just didn't drop he wanted to, or were they fastballs that he was trying to mix in? No, they were splitters, huh? They were splitties. Uh, I believe uh, uh, it was either he was behind the count or even with the count, and he needed to throw a strike there. And, uh, yeah, they were up in the zone a little bit, and uh, I, did, I was ready to go and, and, and was able to swing and react at those pitches uh, up in the strike zone. Um, and like I say, if – uh, he, he was real tough when you get two strikes on you, and then he'd throw some pitches that looked like were in the zone, then they would dip out of the zone, uh, resulting in, in check swings, strikeouts, uh, weak ground balls. But the other thing about facing Bruce Suter back then, uh, his deception, uh, just a tall, lanky guy, and just the way that he jumped at you, thought that uh, 96 miles an hour was coming. So that was a big part of his his effectiveness was his deception because he'd really jumped his body at you. And with the arm speed, you really, your eyes said 96 miles an hour. And here comes a split finger, probably 90, 91. I don't know how hard he threw 92, but then the, the, just the bottom dropping out of it at home plate. I mean, literally uh, two feet, two feet drop. And then Maybe even more with two strikes where he could really control that pitch and have it, uh, have it bounce it when he wanted to. Five for six with two home runs and seven RBIs for Sandberg because it's not just the two homers, but bottom of the six, the two-run single to close a gap to 9-8 Cardinals. It was 7-1 to one at one point, 9-3. That, uh, that, that two-run single added in there. So did you have a confidence going that day that you can 
think back on, Ryan, like just a, a mentality of like, oh, yeah, I got this? Well, no question, Matt. And, uh, you know, already having three hits uh, before the, the the home run at bats, I mean, there's a lot of confidence right there. Already had a good day, if you want to look at it that way. And uh, uh, the way that the team fought back that day and and everything, it was the, and the crowd, it was energizing. But uh, no question about it. Um, I'd hate to have seen those at bats. Uh, if I was already 0 for 3, 0 for 4 situation and just scuffling to just put the bat on the ball and, and get a base hit. But uh, confidence was sky high, three hits in my pocket, uh, already a good day. And then going up there was with what I said, like a, almost like a no-lose type of a situation with our backs against the wall and, uh, and, and then resulting in those home runs. All that added up and made a big difference in those two at-bats, no question about it, along with, uh, if you want to take it way back uh, in spring training, Jim Fry, uh, as the new manager of the Cubs, uh, talked to me about a hitting approach and turned me loose in situations of being a hero type of a hitter and hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He had just come from the Kansas City Royals in the American League. Uh, he talked about the pitcher's best friend and the manager's best friend, a three-run home run. So he took me aside in spring training, and people have heard the story and, and talked about pulling the ball and looking for certain situations, really swinging aggressively when you're ahead in the count and trying to make something happen. A uh, home run on opening day went a long way with me at, at Candlestick against the Giants, against Greg Mitten. He had a, a really good sinking fastball down and in and in on the hands to a right-handed hitter. He had a home run off of him opening day. So this was all kind of a buildup from there, and it all, it all, everything was aligned on that uh, Saturday afternoon with the perfect matchup against the Cardinals. Beautiful sunny day, uh, NBC game of the week. The number one game was rained out, as we know, and this was the backup game. We all got word that we were the game of the week. It was a big deal back then. Just that Saturday game of the week was the only thing, except for WGN and. TBS nationally, uh, so everything was everything was aligned and perfect uh, for all of this to happen. And uh, the night before, I went to an Alabama concert with uh, Sutcliffe and Jody <laughs> Davis and Keith Moreland. That's great. I was energized by that. Uh, anyone that sees Alabama in concert, it's like a rock concert. I, I think I'm still energized from that, and, and so it just <laughs> kind of carried over the next day. That's great. Ryan Sandberg joining us 35 years ago tomorrow, the Sandberg game, five for six, two home runs off legendary closer, Hall of Famer Bruce Souter to uh, get that game tied twice in the ninth and tenth. Dave Owens' single in extra innings was the game winner. Ryan, how did your life change at that point? We saw the uh, emphasis of people looking at the Cubs with the possibility for the first time in 39 years of going to postseason. That occurred, right. but but your life itself and uh, publicity, uh, marketing, uh, Rhino, Ryan Sandberg, uh, how did everything start to change for you after that? Well, yeah, well, Bruce, I think uh, it, it all started about a week or ten days after this game. Uh, the uh, the All Star voting closed, and I had passed Steve Sachs in that next week. He was he was you know the Dodgers the Rookie of the Year in '82. He was uh, headed to be the starting second baseman in the All-Star game in San Francisco. After that game of the week, I passed him. Uh, so that allowed me to go to my first All-Star game and represent the Cubs 
who were now in first place at the All-Star break, and it, everything just snowballed immediately that next week. Uh, the attention at the All-Star game, um, as the team continued after the All-Star break to be in first place, now the sellouts and no tickets available at Wrigley Field. Uh, now there's people up on the rooftops watching the game because there's no seats available. Uh, and then, and then uh, the media attention, I think, you know, I'd say halfway through August is where the Cubs media came to me and said, hey, hey Rhino, you know, from here on out, whether you're home or off the road, we're going to have to make uh, some time for the media. They, they want to talk to you right. and talk about the Cubs. So that my whole routine changed before batting practice. And I remember going into New York and, and uh, Montreal and Houston and all these places. And I'd have a, a ten-minute session with the media for the rest of the year, and then did the same thing at home. Uh, and, and that was a big deal for you at the time because yeah. you weren't oh, the yeah. uh, outgoing yeah. uh, guy with strangers at the the way that uh, you are these days. No, it all happened. It all happened quickly, and then the, the news teams want to come over and set up for the ten o'clock news, and then keep me up my, past my bedtime for the day game. <laughs> Uh, by the time they left, it's 11. Now I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, I normally have an hour of sleep or half hour of sleep by now. So all that changed and uh, and very quickly. And um, it, it was a, it was a little odd because uh, a lot of that attention was just on myself. And here I have my teammates with the, you know, with the Ron Saves and the, and the Boas and the, the Durham's, Jody Davis and, and Sarge and Sutcliffe and Eckers, all these guys. And I was kind of the spokesperson for the team for that uh, last part of the, the season. Uh, so it all happened at once and really had to learn on the spot. But I'll never forget after the, after the, the game on the 23rd, shaking hands and then just getting to the dugout and just doing my routine and now going inside and being with the guys. Uh, the, the Cardinals um, media person comes over and says, uh, hey, uh, hey, Mr. Sandberg, uh, Jack Buck would like to talk to you on the postgame radio. <laughs> I walked across the field after I put my equipment in there. The crowd was still there and went nuts as I went across the field. I did the Cardinals, the post-game radio show. I was on for 15 minutes, something like that. Walked across again to the home side. Here's the crowd still there going nuts. And I, 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 uh, I was just taking it all in. Once I got into the locker room, uh, I saw all the guys just doing their stuff and uh, walking around and uh, having a bite to eat or getting ready to shower. And I looked at my locker, and I couldn't even see my locker because of the media around there. And that was that was when it all hit that yeah. uh, that this was something special. And now I was going to be in front of the cameras and talking about the game, and uh, reluctantly talking, wanting to talk about myself, but uh, but talked about the team and Bob Dernier getting on ahead of me, and maybe that set up a, a pitch that I could handle with the threat of him stealing whatever the thing was. Uh, uh, those were all the changes that happened very quickly, and it lasted throughout uh, throughout uh, the rest of that season for sure. As you're talking about it, Ryan, I'm, I'm thinking about the Elton John movie Rocket Man. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's it's out. Seen it. Yeah, yeah. It, he plays the troubadour in L.A., and one guy writes a review. It gets syndicated, and his whole life changes. You know, and this is 
that moment for you, Ryan, where like you, everybody sees this across the country. And as you described the changes, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I got to say, you have grown seemingly very much more comfortable in the uh, rock star role that you have in Cubs lore in this town. So it, it, that's gotten more comfortable for you, right? Well, that's, yeah, that's come with, uh, that's come with age and just experiencing more. And, um, you know, it was something I was, when I was brought up in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, um, it was kind of I was I was coached by the veteran players and just by baseball in general not to not to pop off and talk about yourself and and uh, show any opponent up uh, any of those things. The game was different back then, and anything that you would say in the media or the newspaper, if it offended the other team or the other pitcher, baseball and the baseball players would do something about that. And I'm talking about pitching inside and dropping a guy and. Uh, oh, you say this in the paper, you're, you're locked in and all this stuff. How about hitting this one, this pitch right at your neck? I mean, that, that's, that's how the game was played. So I was actually coached uh, by the veteran players as a young player. And on that 84 team, I believe I was the youngest player on the team all year long, except right. for some, some of the uh, September call-ups like a Davey Owen, who may have been about my age. But I was just a young guy around veteran guys and, Hey, this is the way you do things. Don't don't give up. Don't don't tell everybody what you're doing out there. Uh, the, the opponents read the newspaper. Uh, it'll be on the bulletin board. Uh, don't be talking about yourself in the media. Uh, that'll come back to haunt you. The, the slumps are right around the corner. That was the mentality that I was brought up in, and that's how baseball was played. So all that said, um, with the changing of the game and getting older and and uh, much more chances. Uh, to be with media and to talk about what I did much more comfortable because I don't have to stand in there. And uh, in today's game, they don't pitch up and in and drill a guy in the back just because uh, just because the way you acted or something. That, not, that's, that was the way the game was played, and it's totally different now. So I'm much more comfortable talking about the game and what I've done, and I've grown in that part. So then you can tell us about all the pranks because um... – Ryan Sandberg was a very private guy with media, but with his teammates and other people, he he did some incredibly funny things. So, well, Bruce, let me say, let me say something about that. Like I said, I was the youngest one on the team, and I had these gruffly old guys around me. I had a great time teasing them and uh, doing some different things. Uh, was there lighter fluid involved but, at any point? No, no. Well. I don't know. Never got caught, so we'll not go there, Bruce. But, uh, you got to, you got to. I mean, I must say, I had some accomplices there: Rick Sutcliffe and uh, and and Steve Trout, guys that did not play every day and pitched uh, every fifth day. They had a huge hand in in some of these pranks that uh, that you've heard about. And maybe I was a little innocent bystander, but I just had a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe with those you were. Guys. I was a young guy in a candy store, basically, surrounded by these veteran guys that, uh, that loved the game. And you know what? The, the way that that 84 team was put together at the end of spring training, being Dallas Green bringing over Bob Dernier, Gary Matthews, and then Dennis Eckersley, end of May, and then Sutcliffe and Ron Hassey, George Fraser. This, this team was built um, as the season went on. And I'm telling you, we all we – all, blended and gelled and, and really thrived on Wrigley Field and what we were doing in first place for the first time, all that, that uh, we, we became very close, did a lot of fun things, had golf outings um, on the road, 
Uh, we went to concerts. We played hardball. We fought when it was time to fight. Our pitchers pitched inside, uh, and we had our rivals, but we were we were uh, respected as a team. And anytime I have a chance to get together with these guys, which is sometimes spring training or Cubs convention, we all go back to that year and how we all felt about it. Uh, I get a kick out of Dennis Eckersley at the Hall of Fame. I mean, he still tells me that was his favorite summer playing baseball. Hmm. Even compared to the years when he went and he was the dominant closer with Oakland. He said that group of guys and the fun we had and the fans going nuts. Um, how about, the, how about the, the replay of those home runs in that game with the fans? I think a third of the crowd had their shirts off the whole game. <laughs> I mean, Most of them were men, like too, I believe. Yeah, oh, yeah, most of them were men. Um, <laughs> but there wasn't as many souvenir T-shirts to wear and buy and all that stuff, so it was just take your shirts <laughs> off and watch the game, and there's hats flying during the game, during the home runs, and uh, beer flying, and, and it was it was incredible. And I'll never forget the view rounding third base on both of those home runs headed into home plate and just seeing the crowd. It was almost like they were on the field type of an effect, um, and uh, it was uh, it was a sight I'll never forget. And and uh, and what a what a perfect day. And the biggest thing was the Cubs were now at the top uh, of the division, and uh, with all that with all that taking place, it, it was a total team thing and an organizational thing. Right now. Matt and I appreciate this time. Uh, it's really been a special thing. We, we were able to talk to Bob Costas. We're going to hear from Willie McGee before we close it out. But thanks again for the dedicated time and all the memories. I was fortunate enough to have been at that game. I was fortunate enough to see your first base hit when you were with the Phillies, and that was at Wrigley Field, and your last base hit. It's been a joy uh, to get to know you as a, as a friend as well. So thanks again for this and for the Sandberg game. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Bruce. Take care. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan Sandberg, right. uh, 35 years ago tomorrow, the Sandberg game. We'll come back with a little from Willie McGee, and then uh, Rosie and uh, Matt will take you after that. It is 670, the score. No, it wasn't. And you're talking about two of the greatest, uh, you know, stoppers in the game, you know, closers ever to play the game. I mean, Lee Smith, you know, he wasn't a day at the beach. You know, he's a big man. He had pinpoint control. And then you have Bruce Suter with the specialty pitch and the, and the guts. And, uh, you know, what a game. I mean, that was by far one of the funnest, most exciting games I've played. And if not the most exciting, because it was constant battle, battle, battle. And the most extraordinary thing I've seen, you know, you know, playing with Bruce Suter over the years, there were two guys, Todd Guerrero when he came up, that I felt ninth inning, the game was over if they came in, if we had a lead. It felt like almost like you can sit down out there. So the extraordinary thing about that was Ryan Sandberg hitting one home run. Okay, fine, but that still was extraordinary, you know, because you just don't hit Bruce like that. And then he comes up and does it again. I mean, it's like, okay, you know, you just... That's Willie McGee, man. Yeah, Willie McGee, who had a hit for the cycle that day in the Sandberg game. We have a lot of people to thank. Uh, Ryan Sandberg, Bob Costas, uh, Tyler Chadwood earlier in the show. Just a a great hour reminiscing about that 
Great day uh, 35 years ago tomorrow. Matt, thanks for joining in with that. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also, write about the White Sox and Cubs every day on 670score.com. Uh, great fun today. Enjoy your time with Rosie. I will. Yeah, that was a great hour to be a part of. If you know somebody who would like this, tell them the Inside the Clubhouse podcast. We'll get it up in a little while. If you want to bask in that hour of the Sandberg game. A little bit of Cubs news before we roll. Bruce, John Lester, Albert Alzale, Hugh Darvish, and Tyler Chatwood. Those are the four starters for the Braves series coming up. So Alzale starts on four days rest, and Chatwood does get another start. So then we're looking at the six-man rotation now. Looks that way. He is Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. Steve Rosenblum is next with me for Saturday Suckage. Have a great day, everybody, or have a great three minutes. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.